Well, in some ways, it's hard to believe that we're preparing for Christmas because you're still full from Thursday, right? And uh, Thanksgiving apparently took out the front three rows. I don't know what happened, but <clears throat> although I'm glad you're there. There you are. Okay. Um, but it is that time that we gear and start moving toward Christmas, one of the greatest uh, celebrations in the history of the church is remembering Christ's death and his birth. His birth is Christmas, and we remember that he came into the world. And one of the things we do as a church together to make sure that Christmas doesn't become consumptive and about ourselves is we embark on a project together every December called the Heart of Advent. And we've done the Heart of Advent for about 10 or 12 years, and the Heart of Advent is our ambition together as a church to not buy one more sweater and instead set something apart that's going to go outside the walls of our church on our mission. And the Heart of Advent is sort of an above and beyond sacrificial giving of our resources in order that we would be people who put God first, worship, and spend a little less and give a little more for those in need. The Heart of Advent is open now on our website, and you can click in there. Here's the target. Because our mission is to make disciples, empower leaders, and multiply churches, we are focusing this year on the multiplication of churches around the world. Um, and one of the organizations that we're going to help resource this year is the Front Range Church Planting Network, which plants churches here in Colorado on the Front Range. There are about 100 churches who collaborate together to plant churches, and we've met with them, and they're going to be one of the recipients of the Heart of Advent so that more churches can be planted here on the Front Range. We're also going to partner again with um, Horizons International and George Husney, who's working in Ukraine this year, and he's in need of some resources to develop that ministry there, and so he will be one of the recipients and Horizons International. And then our own campuses in which we're trying to multiply churches uh, so that we can continue to do that. Some of the projects that we're involved in in Boulder and Erie and Thornton will also be recipients of the Heart of Advent. I hope you'll pray about it. It's to accomplish this mission. Let all the world know that Christ came into the world and plant churches where the good news of Jesus can be heard. So I, I trust you'll think about that. I know there are a lot of places that our resources get asked at the end of the year. And I hope you'll remember Calvary as you pray that through. But today, we're going to begin our new series, The Wonder of Christmas, The Wonders of His Love. When's the last time that you really felt, oh, wow. Maybe when you sat down Thursday at lunch, did you go, wow. Okay, that's not the hugest wonder, but when was the last time that you felt a sense of awe at something that you were looking at? The new telescope that's gone out, James Webb Telescope, is showing things in the universe, and it's really hard to get a scope of what is being viewed and how far away it is to bring it down that you can say, whoa. Whoa. But if you've ever been out camping in a dark night or you've been out in the wilderness without any other lights around and you see the stars, don't you just say, wow. And we don't get out there enough. Or if you've ever been in the ocean 
and you put on a mask and you went underneath and you just did either snorkeling or scuba diving and you got under there and you saw, wow, I didn't see this under here. Or you think about the Grand Canyon. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Okay. And you go to it and say, oh, yeah, so it's a big valley. And you drive up there. Oh, yeah, it's, the, it's a big ditch. Until you get there. And then you just say, wow. Or even if you hold a baby in your arms and you look in a baby's face and you go, wow. How cool, huh? Better than dressing. And gravy. I mean, there are certain things that make us go, wow. And one of the wonders of God's love is that he sent his son into the world. And he did it in such a way that it fulfilled an ancient prophecy. And I'm praying that in the weeks of December, all of us will enter into church here with a sense of anticipation and a longing to have what genuinely is a wow that God sent his son into the world, and we would know the wonders of his love. And we never needed it more. In fact, sometimes when you see a wonder, whether it's you're looking at the ocean until you see underneath and you see what's there, it's not something obscures your vision of it. And then when it is pushed away and you can see what's there, then you say, wow, I'm hoping that'll happen for you this Christmas season, that something that is there, but the darkness will be pushed back and you will see it. The first wonder is the wonder of the light of God coming into a darkened world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Next phrase. Far as the curse is found, everywhere there is darkness, everywhere there is turmoil, he has come to make his glories known. If you have your Bible, I want you to open with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah and chapter 9. And we're going to look at the first wonder, the light of the world. God made a promise to those who were in darkness and the Old Testament book of Isaiah was written about 700 years before Jesus came into the world. And so one of the things that I hope that you will go home with today is an assurance in your own heart that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. And that you can trust in the word of God that when it is spoken and it unfolds, although sometimes we have to wrestle with it to understand how it all fits together, it does fit together. And it's worth the work to research and understand what the Old Testament was saying and then how it becomes fulfilled in the New Testament. And nowhere does it come into sharper clarity than how the prophet Isaiah often spoke about the coming arrival of a Messiah. And we're going to look at this, a comparison of Isaiah and the Gospels during the month of December. Isaiah has frequently been called the fifth gospel because it speaks so much about Christ. And the two themes of the book of Isaiah are first, sadly, the judgment of God against sin, but in beautiful contrast and relief, the hope of God's salvation 
in the face of his judgment. And that's very clear in our text today. Isaiah chapter 9. It was written to people who were headed into exile. And Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1 says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And then verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. These two verses open chapter 9. And what comes before chapter 9? Chapter 8. And this is a very hopeful text that there's no more gloom in the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, which are portions of the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee, because the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has shined a light. Now, this was 700 years before, and so you have to really understand, why is this hopeful? The way Isaiah is writing his prophecy is that if you look in chapter 8, beginning at verse 19, you will see that verse 19 talks about how terrible the darkness in the land of Israel is. And if you just see the sweep, chapter 8 concludes with this great darkness, and then 9 opens up that a light dawns. Because this is the theme of Isaiah. There is judgment for sin, and then there is hope of the delivery of salvation that God brings. How dark was it in Israel that God would send his people into exile through the Assyrian army? Well, chapter 8 tells us. Look at verse 19. Chapter 8, verse 19 says... Um, and when they say to you, I, I should say, first of all, King Ahaz was the king of Israel. And King Ahaz was a wicked king. And this pending judgment from Assyria is coming. But when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter... Should not a people inquire of their God, should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? When they say that, verse 20 says, to the teaching and to the testimony, go to the, the word. And if they will not speak according to the word, it is because they have no light. They have no dawn. Verse 21, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and they will speak contemptuously against God, their king against their king and their God, and they will turn their faces upward in pride, and they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom and anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. What's happening? Isaiah is saying that when the armies start to come and your mediums and your prophets who are evil you know, say, approach the gods, then return to the word, and darkness will come. 
they won't turn to the word because they're in darkness and in utter anguish they will be in the earth and they will be thrust into utter darkness. And that's because of, you, you might ask the question, why would God do this to his people? Well, the pathetic scene in Israel at the time was King Ahaz had rejected God and closed the temple and opened up a shrine and built a statue to Molech, the god of the Ammonites. And among the, the religious practices of the Ammonites who worshipped Molech was to throw babies in the fire at the foot of Molech. So imagine a nation who knew God, but so rejected him that they set up a new deity to Moloch, and there they sacrificed their children. This is Israel. The king of Israel did that. Can you imagine a nation sacrificing their children? God's anger was was fueled, and he said, because of your wickedness, I will take you into exile, and he took Israel into Assyria, and he said, it's going to be utter darkness there. And in the next chapter, chapter 9, people who walked in darkness, he just throws the prophecy forward that there's going to be relief. If we could have verse 1 again, you'll see there was no gloom for her who was in anguish. She was in anguish, but Isaiah is looking forward that there's going to be delivery. And the former time will be brought into contempt in the land of Zebulun, Naphtali. In the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, beyond Galilee of the nations. In the northern part of Israel, Galilee, that would again become glorious. And then verse 2 says, people who were in darkness have seen a great light. This is Isaiah in context, 700 years, Israel's going off into exile to Assyria, and he speaks these words of judgment and promised delivery. What does that have to do with Christmas? Well, if you turn to the right in your Bible, to Matthew chapter 4, we will see the precise connection. There, in Matthew chapter 4, we begin to see the connection of how God fulfills his promise. In Matthew chapter 4, we begin in the early days of Jesus' ministry. And Matthew records for us verse 12, which is not on the screen. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. Remember, Galilee is this, the region north of, Israel, north of Jerusalem in the northern part of the country. And the region of Galilee is the whole area surrounding uh, the Sea of Galilee, all the way around it. And to the north, the Assyrians. To the west, the Phoenicians. Um, to the east, the Syrians. And because Galilee was surrounded by all of these other nations, and the nations had come and taken Israel away, and then brought them back and had repopulated the area around Galilee. Galilee in the northern part of Israel was not exclusively Jewish, but it was referred to in our last verse as Galilee of the nations because the nations were there. Phoenicians, Syrians, um, and Samaritans. 
when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been taken into prison, verse 13, uh, he left Nazareth and he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, the territory of, circle it in your Bible, there it is, Zebulun and Naphtali, the first to be taken into captivity by Assyria 700 years earlier, and now the first to receive the visit of Jesus who goes to live in this region so that what would be full, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled 700 years earlier. And Matthew says this is the fulfillment of Israel's prophecy. Next verse, 15, 16. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles or of the nations, the place where not only Jews were, but where the nations had come in and overtaken Israel. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. What is the light? Turns out the light is Jesus, who comes into the world and begins his ministry in this place, and Matthew just plucks this ancient text from Isaiah and says, when Isaiah was writing, the near fulfillment was that God sent his nation into Assyrian captivity, and then he delivered them and brought them back. But the far fulfillment of the word of God and the ultimate fulfillment of the word of God was that the people who are dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and that light is Jesus who comes to take up his ministry in Galilee. And there he begins. And all the beginning parts of his ministry begin there. Light is perhaps the most common motif of Jesus coming into the world. Uh, in fact, when Jesus was born, there's a lot of reference to light coming. But Matthew simply says that when he entered into this region of Capernaum and Nazareth, he was the light that was prophesied in the Old Testament. I want to think about light. When was the last time that someone turned the light on in a room and you went, whoa, you know, wow. When the light comes on, does it make you say, wow. When Jesus entered in, he was the light of the world. Even in his birth, um, Zacharias, father of John the Baptist, you remember that when John the Baptist was going to be born. Zacharias didn't believe it, and you know he was unable to speak. And when he did speak, in the next verse, we have that. There you go. He he said this of his own son, and you, child of John the Baptist, you will be a prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the Sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. The way Zacharias talked about John the Baptist, who would make a way for Jesus, would be you would be like a light for the one who will give light to people. Jesus was going to be the one who would bring light into the world. And this was the most common illustration that Jesus used of himself. It's over and over again. Let me show you a couple places where this is. It shows up in the Bible all the time. If you have your Bible, you might turn. I'm going to put a couple of these on the screen. 
But what is the significance of light? Well, John chapter 1, in telling the origin of Jesus in the world, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the way John introduces Jesus' incarnation. He came into the world, and in him was life, and the life of Jesus was the light of men. He came to lighten men and to bring the light of God. And what it presupposes that all of the world was in darkness. And that's talking about a spiritual condition. That the spiritual condition of mankind was in darkness, and Jesus came. If you go on, if you're still in John chapter 1, um, verse 9 says, The true light, Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And in that text, it, it goes on to say, people did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed on his name. When you get to chapter 3, you see another reference to light in John's gospel. Verse 19, a sad reference. It says, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People would prefer to stay in the darkness of their sin because they like their evil deeds. This is not unlike what Isaiah said when judgment was coming, but people would be in the land and they would see all this terrible thing, but they would curse God. And even though when they were hungry, they wouldn't acknowledge him. And there's a picture of people who are so committed to their evil deeds that even when it gets terrible, they will not acknowledge God, even though the light is here. It's a scary time. I have a sense that we live in some measure in a world in which people know that things are not right in the world. But the last place many people want to look is up to the light of Jesus Christ. Because perhaps we still prefer our evil deeds. There's more. In John chapter 12, um, in verse 46, he says of himself, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. There's a spiritual condition of darkness, but I came into the world that that would change for you. And then the final one that I'll share with you is John chapter 8 and verse 12. And here again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus loved this illustration. And if you know the particular context of this verse, it really is all the more a significant and tremendous statement because the place where the statement was made by Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 12, was that Jesus spoke these words in the treasury, which is inside the temple, which is the court of women, the outer court of the temple, and the time of year had just concluded at the Feast of Tabernacles when Jesus uttered these words. And in the Feast of Tabernacles people of Israel commemorated what they called the illumination of the temple. And it was their celebration of remembering God's deliverance through the pillar of fire 
and the cloud through the exodus. And what they would do is they would fill the temple court with all of these candelabras, and they would light them all day and all night. And this luminous presence at the Feast of Tabernacles would shine out from Jerusalem, from the temple, and people would see this light, and the light would go on for seven days. And it had just ended. So for seven days, Jerusalem had been illuminated in John chapter 12 by this huge candelabras of light, and everybody had been observing it, celebrating God's work through the pillar of fire and of cloud, and then it was over, and it was over, and I imagine all of these candelabras were still in there, and in walks Jesus among them, and he says, get it now? I am the light of the world. Like The candles are out, and they were luminous. You could see it. And they're out. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I love what Jesus was saying. He's saying, I'm superseding all prior illustrations of the guiding protection of God to Israel. I am the fulfillment of the promised hope of delivery from the darkness. And Jesus became all of that. Now, the darkness is a spiritual condition, and I'd like to just take a a moment here and sort of illustrate in three ways how the darkness shows up today and has always showed up in a spiritual way, that we have an understanding of darkness. How many of you are afraid of the dark as a kid? Anybody? You're afraid of the dark, and so you put a little nightlight on, keep yourself calm. Why? Because nobody really likes the dark. And we suppress any sensory of spiritual darkness. But there are at least three of them that show up in our life. And one of them is the darkness that we feel in our soul over the guiltiness of our sinfulness. And we suppress it and we mask it. But because we know we have all failed in several ways, many ways, we know we have not been who we wished we were. We, we know we have transgressed God's moral law. We know there's something inside us that's warped and broken and rebellious that we can sometimes be overwhelmed with a sense of guilt, shame, fear, anxiety, a real sense of failure and even depression and a weight that is in us because we haven't done what we thought we should have. And certainly what we know God might have said you ought to have. And this weight of guilt is real. And we may mask it. We may medicate it. We may try to suppress it. But whenever we feel a sense of guilt, we actually should say this is from God. And it's meant to motivate us to leave And to move toward him. When Jesus entered Galilee, we didn't read this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, but the first words out of his mouth were, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. A light has shined. Repent, turn to God. If you feel guilt inside, repent and turn. It's right that sinfulness creates weight. 
and a burden, but the relief of it is in Jesus. You have your Bible? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Let me show it to you. Colossians chapter 1. It's not going to be on the screen, so maybe just write this down if you can. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. Here Paul says, we give thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. If you feel a, a weight of sinfulness that feels like darkness in your soul, Hey, in the moment that you sense that, you should, you should be thankful because that's right. And, and we should repent because that's right. And then we should receive forgiveness of our sins and redemption to be bought back by Jesus and be transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son to share in the inheritance of light. I love this text. Because it takes this very motif of being in darkness because we've, we're lost in sin to being in the light as he is in the light. And, and when is the last time you said of yourself, because Christ is your Savior, my sins are forgiven. <sighs> we think too lightly of our sins, that it isn't a burden. And we think too lightly of his forgiveness but to step out of guilt and to enter into forgiveness in Jesus in which he cleanses us from all our sins so that we are not thought of as being sinners. We are righteous with the righteousness of Jesus. We are indwelt with a, a spirit that is a kind of spirit that is holy. That's who we are because we've stepped out of darkness into the light. He's transferred us. Hey, there is good news and a wonder that the light of the world has come, that we would not be in darkness, but have the light of Christ. The second way that light shows up in our own life is, is in our minds and in the way that we think. There is, there is this idea in the Bible that when we're not thinking in God's reality, we're in darkness. When we don't have the mind of Christ, uh, the Bible puts it this way. Uh, Paul said, I testify to the Lord in Ephesians 4, verse 17, that you no longer walk as the nations do in the futility of their mind. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and every kind of impurity. And I say, oh, that again sounds like our world. What, what happens when I... I don't see the light of Jesus. I'm, I'm darkened in my mind. There is a mind and a, an inability to perceive reality the way God describes it until I come to Jesus. The natural man doesn't receive the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. We, we need the Spirit. We need Christ. He's become the light to take the darkness of the way we think and to change that into the light that He is. Paul said in another place, the God of this world is blinding the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the glorious light of the gospel of Christ. There is a spiritual 
work in the mind that Jesus came to illumine. It's not only our guilt, it's in the way we think. And Jesus came, I've, I've come to be the light of the world. Whoever walks in the light will not continue to walk in darkness. And if there's one other practical way to think about light and darkness, it's in the whole issue of eternal life and death. Death in the Bible is portrayed as the sort of the ultimate darkness. Into utter darkness they will go. And Jesus came to give eternal life in the light of his presence, where we'll be forever. And there'll be no need for the sun or the moon because his light will be there. There is this, this change that comes when I come to the light of the world that I move out of spiritual death into spiritual life. And again, the Bible puts it in a certain way. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the writer of Hebrews said that Jesus took on flesh and blood and partook of the same nature as us, that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver us who through fear of death were subject to slavery all our lives. Fear of death. And Jesus takes away the fear of death. So listen, your sins are forgiven. Does that make you say, wow? You're able to see because the Spirit of God is in you, the truth of God. Whenever you're reading your Bible and you say something in there and you say, wow, I see something. That's not your genius. That's God illuminating you and leading you into the light of his truth. When you are realizing that your life may come to an end and you'd step into eternity, do you hear on this side say, wow, I know where I'm going. For me to live is Christ, and to die is what? It's a gain. It's good. I'm going. Can I tell you a pastoral experience that has really shaped my life? I've been with people at the time of death. A lot. I've had the privilege of being in the room when people are stepping over into eternity. It is a precious moment when they're ready. And I've seen and heard of people at the moment of death <gasps> opening their eyes and tracing the room or saying, they're coming. And I think their experience of passing over is seeing something that is like a, <gasps> it's true. And they go, I think there's something of a wow that when Jesus came into the world, he came in to be the wonder of light that would take us out of our sinfulness into holiness, out of our confused and broken mind into knowing God's reality and out of eternal death and into his life. So that we would say, wow. And now today, here we are, Calvary Bible Church. How many of you know that, that Jesus is the light of the world? So what is our mission? Let me close with this. Here's our mission. Our mission um, comes in our last verse, but you are a chosen. We have that verse. You are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. Let's read the last part together. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the whole purpose that we haven't gone to heaven yet because we have become his people, that we would live in the world that is darkened and doesn't know him yet, that we would be a people who are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our mission. That's our mission for December. I want to encourage you that we're going to look at the wonders of Christmas from Isaiah to the Gospels. And there are a lot of people who need to, need to on a Sunday morning, I haven't seen any of you do this yet, but like, wouldn't it be great if people came in here and just said, wow, if that is true, I want that. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, that you came into the world to end the darkness of our soul and to be the promise fulfilled that on the people who are in darkness, a great light would shine. We give you thanks. Now we pray that you will just fix our minds to be people who are in awe of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And wherever we have heard you speak to us that perhaps we are living in a bit of darkness, may the words of Jesus, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, draw us to say to you, here I am, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to walk in the light as you are in the light. And wherever there needs to be forgiveness or a turning to you, Lord, I pray that that would happen this morning. And then I ask that out of this church, there would go such a witness that there is a God who can take people who are hopelessly lost in darkness and usher them into the brilliance of his own presence, light of the world, Jesus Christ. Pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.